this whole week I've been looking at the brochure and see, hearing it being said, the unforgiving servant, but or the unforgiving debtor, but I'm thinking of this more as the parable of forgiveness. So uh, sorry if I'm going to be not going to be talking about unforgiveness all night, but that's I mean it is it is unforgiveness, but it is forgiveness as well. So Matthew 5:38 You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the, them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go 1 mile, Go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Those were Jesus' words um, on the Sermon on the Mount regarding forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that we all desire in our lives because we all mess up. But when when the situation is turned around, and it's time for us to forgive others, it kind of is a little harder for some reason. And, and God, God knew this a long time before we ever did. Uh, he, he knew that we were going to have a real problem forgiving other people when they hurt us. And he, ha- he has a lot of things to say in his word about that. Um, we are going to be looking at the parable of the unforgiving of the servant in Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Um, and kind of a couple things that I want to go over tonight is I want to look at some context. Um, first of all, in the Old Testament, um, and then specifically leading up, leading up to the parable. Um, and then, of course, the parable itself um, and some observations and then some applications from, or specifically one application from the early church and then also for us today. First of all, going back to the Old Testament. Um, In Exodus 21, uh, God gave some extra, or God had just given the the Israelites the Ten Commandments, and he was coming back to them with some more laws. Um, So verses, uh, Exodus 21, 21 to 20, or 22 to 25, sorry. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fine, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and stripe for stripe. And the Jewish people literally took this very, very literally. And I've often looked at this passage and I was like, wait, why, God, why, why did you give them the commandment to take this, to forehand for hand? Why did you, and then as I was studying for this, um, I, I found several, well, at least one article um, that kind of give insight on this. Um, if we look at when uh, this was written, uh, this was written in the time of of the Jews, and they, like I said, they had just gotten the um, Ten Commandments. But previous to that, the the um, patriarchs they had come a couple generations before this, um, before the before the Israelites had went to Egypt, 
And if you think about the time that they lived in, and if you look at um, the time of Jacob and how, how much law was present in the land. Now, obviously, there wasn't as many people around, um, but there was still... There was, there, and yeah, there, there, just, there just was not law. You know, we, we know the term human rights today. Well, human rights in that time, there, there was, that was really not existent. And so Jacob was in charge of his, his group of people. He had um, his wives and his children and his possessions and his servants. Um, but if something came up, pretty much they took, they took what they thought was justice and took it into their own hands. And we can look at the life of Jacob and see this come up several times. Um, way back with Jacob when, when um, he took the birthright and the blessing away from Esau. Um, in Genesis 27, 41 to 45, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When, Jacob. when Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now, when, now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban and Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry, angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? So we see that Esau found out that Jacob had stolen the blessing, and he was furious. And he was going to kill Esau. And he would have killed him if, if Rebekah wouldn't have sent him away. Um, and this same fear was still in Jacob when he returned to Esau um, years later. You can also see the fear that Jacob had of Laban when he left um, when he ran away from Laban after he had lived with him for years and did some shady business with him. Um, and, yeah, we just see that the, the fallenness of man, it was, not the, it was not the way. God, God knew when he gave this the, the law for, the, for eye for eye, tooth for tooth. He was not giving that law as a, oh, you should do this. You're supposed to go up to this point. He was giving them the law to limit them because he knew that it wouldn't stop with an eye for an eye. He was taking it, he was giving this as a guideline, as a boundary for them because they needed it. Um, before I go breezing on there, does anybody have any comments or questions at this point? Um, in Leviticus 24, there's a, it's a very similar passage to what we had writ, um, read earlier. Uh, and it goes, Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done it, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. And like I said before, this, this, this is a serious law that God, God had given to, to the children, uh, to, 
to the Israelites. And, and again, this was not something that he gave because he felt that they needed they needed more reason to get revenge on their neighbors. He, he set this up as a guideline, as a stopping point, so that they would not go more than that. And, and the, reason, the reason I bring all this in is because this is the culture that the Jews lived in. These are the people, and specifically the disciples, this is who they, this is what they believed. This is how they lived their lives every day. So when we come to this parable, we have to keep that in mind as that, that's, what, that's how these people are used to living. They're not used to living with this with human rights and that, you know, if someone does something to me, then I, you know, then, then we call the cops. It's, if someone does something to me, then we can take it to the law this point, this far. Moving now more towards the context of the story in Matthew. Um, who was Jesus specifically talking to in, in the parable in um, Matthew 18? And again, we're looking at Matthew 20, specifically the parable in Matthew 20, uh, 18, 21 to 35. Peter. Specifically Peter. Who was Peter? What? what? And Peter was a part of the disciples. Um, I think Peter was specifically talking to the disciples in this um, in this in this parable. Um, now, kind of as a context for the uh, for again for this story, you know, Jesus came. Jesus came to Earth. Um, part part of his reason for coming to earth was to provide to give us salvation. That was part of it. The other part was to teach us a better way to live. He wanted to take us from this tooth for tooth and move us beyond that to forgiveness and, and what we're talking about tonight, but in lots of other ways as well. But the disciples at this point were still a little bit confused about what Jesus was trying to teach them. And I think they were more, one of the reasons they were confused about what he was trying to give them was because they were confused about who he was. They were confused about why he had come. Um, and I think it's because of these guys here. Now, this is not real soldiers, this is actors, but this is what the disciples saw every day, and the Jew, I mean, the Jews in particular. But they saw the Romans every day. It was. What it was, what they were, um, yeah, it was. It was a daily reminder to them that they were under the rule of a foreign nation, and it, yeah, it was. The, and this was what they thought the Messiah was coming for. The Messiah was coming to rescue them. The Messiah was coming to build an earthly kingdom, and get rid of the rulers, specifically the Romans out of their country. That's, that's what they believed. And I think, there again, we need to keep that in mind as we, as we see what Jesus is teaching in this parable because this is, not what they were, this is not what they were expecting from the Messiah. 
And they, they weren't necessarily looking, like I said, they were looking for, they were looking for an earthly kingdom. They weren't looking for, they didn't, they weren't looking for a spiritual rescue. Um, also, the beginning of, of chapter 18, um, in verse 1, the disciples come to Jesus, um, wondering who would be the greatest in this earthly kingdom. And Jesus reminds them in verses 2 to 3, he's, first of all, he, he, said, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He reminds them that to be a part of this king of the kingdom of heaven, they needed to become as little children. Essentially, the opposite of what they had just asked him. They were wondering who would be the greatest, not who would become a child. Who would be the greatest? Who would sit beside you and rule? And then. Um, in verses 15 to 17, um, right, up, right before the parable, um, Jesus comes to them and, uh, again and says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. This is, the, this is what leads up to Peter's question then in verse 21. Um, and it seems like this scenario kind of got, got Peter rolling and thinking. And, and, then he, and then he asked the question in verse 21. He, he, Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins, sins against me up to seven times? Again, some context here. Uh, the Jewish leaders taught that they needed to forgive someone three times. That was that was what. Um, all, I mean, if they were going to forgive someone, that was what was necessary. And they based that off of Amos one. Um, now, they, they there's there are several different times here where um, the Lord uses this. I'm not going to take the time to read this now, but um, basically they. The Lord came, this is in Amos chapter 1, the Lord comes um, with a revelation to Amos, and he says, three times this country or these people blasphemed my name and I forgave them. I forgave them. They're, they're not listening. I'm no longer forgiving them. So that's what the Jewish leaders based off, that they, could, that they only needed to forgive three times. So if you're Peter... And you're used to saying, oh, well, three times is all I have to give. Jesus, I'll forgive seven times. That's pretty good, isn't it? He thought he was going way beyond what he needed to. But Jesus just blows him away. And he says, I did not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And that, uh, um, I know this is different um, I know the King James says until 70 times 7 490 times now who's going to count 490 times and I think that was, that was Jesus point but 
Um, another illustration, in, in thinking with, with Peter and, and, you know, how Jesus was relating to him, you know, when we're, when we're teaching a child to count, um, do we expect them to understand the big numbers right away? Absolutely not. No, we, have, we definitely have to start with smaller numbers and use props. Now, I got my boys to pose for me, and uh, they, they were supposed to tell me how old they were. But, you know, we have to start with small things, and that's what Jesus was trying to do. But Peter was stuck. You know, okay, eventually, our, eventually we run out of fingers. You know, you only have 10 fingers. Well, I guess you can go to toes and you can get to 20. But Peter was stuck with two hands. And he didn't realize that the kingdom that he was, that Jesus was talking about was much bigger than the two hands that he could. It was, it was much bigger than the physical that he could see. And, and the forgiveness that Jesus was talking about was much bigger than what is humanly possible. It's only possible through through Jesus. And then, of course, Jesus emphasizes this with, with the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Does anyone know how much a talent is? I I came across varying amounts of yeah it but all the most I mean all all of them it was definitely crazy amounts of money but um I the one the one thing that I found and or yeah the one that I'm using tonight is it was approximately a a talent was approximately 20 years of wages um and that's a good starting number but where how how does that compare? So first of all, we're gonna go we're gonna go to the smaller amount, which comes later than um, in in verse twenty eight with the pence, with the other servant owed him a hundred pence. But um, a, the pence ordinary um, was is accepted most of the time from what I've seen as a day's wage. For, I mean, the, the amount that was paid for a day's work. Now, a talent was 6,000 pence. So can anybody do math really quick? How many years' work was that? I'm sorry, not, not years' work. We already said that. So, so, we, so we said 20, it's 20 years. Um, we're saying it's, about, we're saying it's about approximately 20 years of wages. Oh, now, we're, that's figuring approximately 300 days of work with with Sabbaths and holidays. Now, 10,000 talents. We're now at 200,000 years and 60 million hours of work. This guy was in over his head. I, I don't... 
this isn't about debt, but you could, you could, you know, something else you could get out of here is how, how did he get into this much debt to begin with? Now, how much does that convert over to today? Well, if we figure a day labor at seven twenty-five per hour for minimum wage, all right. So we're, this is this is bottom of the ladder, all right. Now, if we figure in um, 72 hours a week, which is probably what, most likely what a day laborer works, six days a week for 12 hours a day, which is a, a lot of hours a week. Now, that, that's figuring high, but we're going to need that later on anyway. So that's, um, and we figure about 50, so that, that's about 638 a week. That's what, that's what we're getting. Now, 50 weeks there again, kind of figuring for, for holidays. That's $31,900 a year. 200,000 years, $6,380,000,000. That's what this guy owed. And he falls down and he says, I will pay you, I will pay you. Just give me more time. When he's earning or $638 a week. So the king is going through his accounts and finds this servant who owns him $6 billion. And the king had every right to just throw him in jail, sell everything he had, and let him sit there the rest of, the, rest of his life. But like I said, he, he begs for mercy. And the king does not just grant him the request for more time to pay this $6 billion debt he takes and he forgives it. He wipes it out. He takes it to nothing. No more debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. Servant leaves the king a debt-free man and goes out and finds another servant. Not some stranger, but someone he works alongside who owed him some money, a hundred pence to be exact, and threatens him and demands him to be paid immediately. The servant who had been forgiven everything goes out and finds someone who owes him one six hundred thousandth of what he had owed the king, one six hundred thousandth of the debt he had just been forgiven of, and demands to be paid. Not only demands to be paid, but almost chokes the guy to death and then throws him into jail for not paying immediately. Now, what do you think the disciples were thinking of at this point in the story? Who did they think he was talking to? Were they responding like David? 
to Samuel's story of the sheep when he was approached, uh, when Samuel approached him about, about Bathsheba? How do you, how do I respond to a story like this? Because you and I are the person with the $6 billion debt. We are all that person. Because we have a debt that's so large to God that we can never pay it back. It's not happening. And Jesus came and said, I'm going to take that debt and I'm going to wipe it out. The servants around, I'm sorry, so now in verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 31, um, his fellow servants saw what had taken place. They were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So, again, his fellow servants saw what happened and came back to the king and said, This is not okay. You just forgave this man. His debt, but he goes out and sticks someone else in jail who owed him money. So the king calls the servant back in, and he renounces the renounces what he had just forgiven, and gives him back the debt. And this time he does send him to jail. So he takes that zero that he had just given him and returns it back to the six billion. Again, um, one of the things that I want to point out is that this, the, guy, the, the, the guy who was unforgiving, he went and found someone, not, again, not, not some stranger, not someone that was way off, that he didn't know. It was one of his fellow servants, one that he knew. Um, and forgiveness for people around you is is hard. But I think the people around us is probably even harder. When when we're hurt by people that we know, when the people around us fail, and it's hard to forgive them because we know who they are. And that's, that's, that's what Jesus is, that's what Jesus is telling us. He's saying, look, I'm forgiving your $6 billion debt. And the guy next to you, what he did to you is not worth near the same. Yes, Mark? Yeah, people can. I mean, people can hurt us in many, many different ways, and over and over again. And yet, it's still in comparison to what 
So what we've been forgiven, what, what Jesus forgave us, it's, I mean, it's very, very small in comparison. And we, and we like to think that, we as humans like to think that as soon as someone hurts us, it's, it's a big deal. And I'm not saying, I'm not out to say that just because you get hurt, it's that, that we shouldn't be, that there isn't some concern. But in comparison to what, what Jesus did for us is very, very minimal. And that, that's, that's what Jesus is trying to tell us in the story, I believe. John. He didn't have a chance to repent. Well, once, yeah, once he came back. Anybody else have anything yet before we? Once we lose sight of what Jesus did for us, um, then it's a lot easier to be unforgiving. Put a mind on, on Jesus. Yeah, when we, when we forget what when we when we lose sight of what what God what Jesus did for us it's easy to it's easy to lose focus and we we forget the big picture of what's going on around us um so an example of forgiveness um in the early church in the new testament um i I didn't specifically search it, but I, I don't know of any time that the word forgiveness is actually mentioned any time later on in the New Testament. Um, but there is times when it's exemplified. And one of the times that, it is, that, that happens um, is when, when Saul is, um, has his conversion experience and then goes to um, Damascus um, and... Let me see if I can find. Oh, Ananias. Yes, God appeared to Ananias in a dream, and said that, you know, this Saul guy. He's he's here. He want. He's going to be part of my kingdom. He's going to do great things for me. And Ananias had to make a decision. And you know, maybe he didn't say he forgives him, but he had to trust God that that Saul was now a changed man, and he he did have to forgive Paul for what he had. I mean for. Well, later on, Paul, but for Saul, for what he had done, because Saul had been persecuting the Christians. In fact, he was coming to Damascus to probably get Ananias to try to find. I mean, he was looking for Christians. He was coming to find them. Um, and Ananias needed to take. Yeah, he needed to forgive Saul for for the things that he had done against Christians already. A head for an eye, an arm for a tooth, a leg for a finger, your house for my car, your life for my dignity. Life 13.1. Obviously, that's something I made up, but that's the world we live in today. People 
As if, if, you're, if you're wrong, you go after, every, after somebody and you get them for as much as you can. That, that, is what, that is what the world is about. That's what society is about. We, you don't, if, if someone hurts you, it is not about trying to figure out you know, how, how, to make, how to make them feel better. It's, it's all about me. And, you know, just like, just like the man in this story, we need to um, remember that we have been forgiven much and we need to pass that on to, to others. And we need to extend, to extend the, the same forgiveness that we've been given and extend it in, into, into the lives of the people around us. And and when we do that, we exemplify we exemplify the the what Jesus was teaching in this story. When we forgive the people around us, then we're we're living we're living the life that Jesus was trying to teach the disciples, trying to teach them that it's not about what we see in front of us every day. It's about the big picture, about the kingdom of heaven about what God has done and is doing in the lives of all the people around us, not just in my life, but in everybody's life. And together, he's um, with all those people, he's creating the church of God and bringing together the kingdom of heaven. Jesus closes with the parable with, so also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And he kind of drops the end of the parable with kind of a sober statement. But that's, that's, what, Jesus, that's what Jesus tells us. If, if we can't forgive others, then I can't forgive you either. And that's, that's, yeah, it's very hard for, for us to probably completely grasp that, but we need to remember that, that, that Jesus, what, how we forgive the, what, forgive the people around us is how Jesus, how God will look at what we've done. So as we go from here, let's remember, um, try to remember this story. I know we've heard a lot of different things this week, um, but yeah, I've I've learned a lot studying for this, and I think I'm probably more grateful for salvation than I've been before. So hopefully, I can remember that for a long time to come. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for um, your word and for the story that you brought to us. And Father, I pray that as we go from here, that we would remember that we are greatly indebted to you for your um, grace and salvation to us. And I pray that we would remember that every day and that we could apply that to our lives and pass that along to other people when they're in need of um, grace. And Father, as we go from here, um, I just pray that you would, you would give us the grace that we need um, and help us to be um, light shining for you in every area of our lives. Praise on your name. Amen.